So uh, if you will look at Galatians 6, 11 through 18, we'll bring the book of Galatians and our series on it to a close. This is God's holy and inspired word. Paul writes, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Most merciful Father, as we turn now to your perfect and powerful word, we thank you for the grace that you have showered upon us in even being here this morning and to have your word in our language, in our hands, in our laps as we study and as we see how glorious our Lord Jesus is in his continual liberation of his people from the power of sin and also in the amazing once and for all liberation of his people from the penalty of sin on the cross. We long to see how majestic he is in this text this morning. So we pray that your spirit would fill us now, open our eyes and ears, and use this time to help us to understand you more and love you more deeply and cherish more the finished work of our Savior and to empower us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I know that there's a number of you that are guests with us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, when we look at the Word, we kind of walk right through it. So if you don't have a Bible with you, if you haven't already seen, underneath the chair in front of you, unless you're in the front row, sorry, uh, everyone else, uh, the, underneath the chair in front of you, there's hopefully a black Bible that you can use as we walk through this text. Uh, I should have mentioned that before I read the text, so forgive me. But uh, keep, your, keep your Bibles open, and we're just going to walk through this passage uh, as we look at it and. You know, it's been an amazing week here. It's been so much fun to watch all the kids do all these things every day and learning about Jesus and all the ways that he has saved us and is saving us and what he's promised us in the future. It's been really awesome. And uh, it's sad when it comes to an end because it's just a fun thing. It's also, there's kind of a bittersweet feeling on coming to the end of the book of Galatians. You know, it's, uh, it's such a powerful book. We've learned such wonderful and powerful things from the Apostle Paul about Jesus and about us. If we were to try to remember all that we'd learned, we'd have to spend another 13 weeks. So in summary, let me just remind you a couple things. One of the things that Paul hit on so much was that we are justified by faith, that we don't earn our righteousness, that we don't earn God's forgiveness. We don't earn his acceptance. It's a free gift that's given to us on account of what Christ has done. And we receive that gift of forgiveness and of the declaration of righteousness by faith. 
So that's something that Paul talked about for most of the book. Then the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how when God justifies a person, when he forgives them and declares them to be righteous by faith in Christ, he also sanctifies them. He transforms them. He makes them into a new person, a more Christ-like version of themselves. And that takes time. And so that is what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks and part of our journey as Christians. And last week, Scott preached about, Scott Simmons preached about how the result of understanding justification and then being made more like Christ is we serve one another. He talked about carrying each other's burdens and how we want to and we need to be a church where we do carry each other's burdens. But not only that, that we would carry the burdens and serve people outside our church as well. That's what we're here for. And in fact, that's kind of the trajectory of the book, the whole book. We've been heading this route that when we understand that our relationship with God is the result of the work of Christ, not the things that we do, it changes us. And as it changes us, it helps us, it helps send us out to love and to serve people as they need to be loved and served to meet needs, spiritual needs, physical needs that we would pursue people and show them the love of Christ. And that's what we want to do. We want to be a church who does meet the needs of people here in our church body and in our city and in our world as well. And so as we are ready and more ready to get out there and to serve and to show people the love of Christ, there's something that we're going to have to be watching out for. And that's what Paul is going to show us here at the end of this letter. He takes one more shot at this idea of legalism helping make sure we understand that legalism is not the gospel. Legalism is the idea that faith in Christ is not enough. You must also obey certain laws or you'll go to hell. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is if, that, if, if we believe, then we are saved. And that means we will go ahead and strive to obey God, but not because we have to, it's because we want to. It's because that's the change that Christ has made in us. And so being on guard for legalism is really important because here's the thing. Uh, if people go on rejecting the law and living according to sin, it usually works itself out and they usually wind up walking out of a church anyway. But what can stay, what we need to watch out for is legalism in the church. It's very sneaky because legalists follow rules. And so we want to be very aware of that, and, and we're going to see some things, uh, some motivations that, uh, that drive legalism as we look here. And the number one thing we've got to be keeping in mind is that really it is only by God's grace and a, and a firm commitment to the gospel that we all won't be legalistic, that we wouldn't be a legalistic church beating people over the head with the law. It's only by God's grace. And so here's the gospel fact for this morning. Only through faith in Christ do we find the power and desire to live selfless, sacrificial lives that truly benefit the people we want to serve. And that's good news because we have faith in Christ. If you're taking notes, uh, your outline this morning, just two things we're looking at, just motivations behind legalism and then motivations behind gospel ministry or what we might call gospel-centered ministry. And as, as we continue to relish and enjoy and, 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 and celebrate the love of Christ, we want to be a church that is gospel-centered, not legalistic. So let's do this. Let's walk through this passage and see what Paul says. Look at 11 through 13. Uh, again, please be looking at your Bible. I'd love for you to look at the Word of God rather than me. But here we go. Look 
looking at 11 through 13. We're just going to walk through here. First thing I want you to see here as we look at these verses is that there's a danger of serving people in a way that really serves you. And not so much them. Let's look at this. 11. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Basically, what he's doing is jumping off the, the, the or starting here by showing that this is going to be really important, what he's about to say. Okay. Now, 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. This is big. He's showing you a motivation behind legalism. The legalists were the, uh, we also call them Judaizers. They were the people who were demanding that people follow certain rituals and rules like circumcision if they're going to be saved, which is not the gospel. But here's one of the big motivations, the approval of others. So when legalists demand things or when we act legalistic to one another, a lot of times what we're really after is approval. Look at that again. It says, make a good impression. Another way to translate that phrase would be a display or a good showing. In other words, very often legalism is driven by a desire for the legalist, the person demanding that people obey certain laws if they're going to be saved. It's driven by a desire to be approved by other people. Now, let me ask you this. If I'm seeking to serve you and I'm really doing it so that other people approve of me, who am I really serving? This guy. Okay, it's it gets worse. Look at 12 uh, B, the second part of 12. He says the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so there we see yet another selfish motivation behind legalism. And that that's that people are afraid. People are afraid of what they might lose if they really focus on the gospel, if they really tell people that we're saved by grace through faith. They're afraid of what they might receive. They're afraid to suffer. And we feel that too. But notice that if I do something or I don't do something in an effort to serve you simply because I'm afraid, am I serving you or me? Once again, this guy. Okay, let's make it worse. Um, 13. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. So what he's saying here, first off, he shows an incredible irony in the people who are, who are legalistically demanding that uh, rules and uh, regulations are obeyed if somebody's going to consider themselves saved he's he's showing that they they don't even obey all the rules themselves that's one of the things that's so frustrating about legalism is you have people who you know are not obeying all the laws demanding that you obey the laws if you're going to consider yourself saved so once again it's about something selfish it's about an accomplishment We have a tendency, we have a danger of doing this. And there are some ministers or entire ministries where they're really seeking to accomplish something. And if my goal in proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to you or demonstrating that Jesus is Lord with my deeds, if my goal is to accomplish something to get you to pray a prayer or to get you to check a box or to get you to do something that I can then say, hey, I got another one. Who am I really serving? This guy. And so. Basically, what we see Paul is is showing us here is that there's the motivations behind legalism are are really just trying to get the approval of others. Uh, Generally, they're afraid of what others might think of them if they really teach and preach the gospel. And often they're just trying to accomplish something. 
And a, lo- a few weeks ago, we started talking about the sin nature. Paul drew that out in, uh, in the last few chapters here. And we talked about how this sin nature inside of us is really ruthless against us, always wanting us to do things that are destructive to ourselves and to others, always calling us really to try to meet our own needs. Your sin nature will always say, you do what's best for you. You forget everybody else. That comes from within us. And that's why we need Jesus to save us from that as well. But the reality is, here's the the really sad thing. A lot of times, Christians seek to meet the needs that they feel through ministry, but in a way that's legalistic so that we're really just trying to serve ourselves and not the people that we are supposed to be loving and serving. And so at the heart of legalism, Paul shows us here, is really a vicious selfishness. And before we go, oh, yeah, those legalists, they're the worst. Listen, all of us, every one of us is always in danger of operating legalistically. So let's not point fingers unless it's at ourselves. We need to be very careful about just saying the bad guys do that. We're the good guys. We're not. Jesus is the only good guy. But God does, not, God does not want his people to use the people they're supposed to be loving and serving. He wants us to love and serve those people, right? Think about this in the Old Testament. Uh, there's an example when God showed some frustration, anger against the people that were supposed to be loving and serving the people of Israel. And he uses this metaphor of shepherds actually eating the sheep that they're supposed to be caring for. Let me read this to you. This is from Ezekiel 34, 7 to 10. It says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves. And have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand. And put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. That they may not be food for them. So the reality is uh, there's a tendency from us, from our sin nature to really use the people we're supposed to be loving and serving, use people to get approval or because we're afraid or to accomplish something, which means that if we're going to be Christ-centered, we've got to focus on the fact that we're all, we all may have a tendency to lean that way. And sometimes we might fall into that type of mentality with the way we seek to love and serve our church and our city and our world, and we'll need to repent then. Because think about this now. Uh, There are a lot of people who have been really beaten up by legalism. And you know who you are, and I know who some of you are because I've heard your testimonies, and they start like this. I grew up in a legalistic home. Or I grew up in a legalistic church. Or I was beat over the head with the law. I never heard the gospel. And I would imagine on a day where we have several visitors with us or guests, some of you may not have a church home, and it may be because, like a lot of people in my generation, you walked away from the church because you were sick of getting beaten up. And I don't blame you. I did too. You know, it drew me back. Jesus, the gospel. And that's all we talk about here. 
Okay, and so I just want to invite you, if you don't have a church home because you were beaten up by legalism, you're welcome to be here among other people who've been beaten up and are now healing under the beauty and blessing of the gospel. But uh, the reality is those wounds are very, very deep. And I'm, I'm not kidding. There are so many people in my generation who are just out there. They would go to church and they will. They will come to know Christ. They will hear about him when we go to them. They're not going to come here because they think if they come here, they get beaten up with the law. And so unless we go out there and say, hey, nay, we're not we're not about beating people up. We're about lifting people up. With what Christ has done, unless we do that, they remain outside of the church and outside of the blessings that we get in Christ. And so it is so important that we are by the cross, uh, that we are through faith in Christ, continually transformed so that we can truly love and serve the people out there, that we wouldn't use the people that we're supposed to be shepherding and ministering to and loving. And that's why uh, there's such good news in this passage What Paul does here next is really shows us the motivations behind gospel-centered ministry. Look at verse 14 and 15. He's really setting us up by making this contrast. You know, the legalists boast in what they accomplish and what we're to do is boast in what Christ has accomplished. Look at this. So beautiful. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And so gospel-centered ministry is gospel that's powered by the cross. We look to the cross. Why should we obey? Because what Christ has done for us. How are we saved? Because we're saved by what Christ has done for us on the cross. Where do we get power to obey? From what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's all about looking at the cross. And we'll see this contrast now. And notice that Paul says, may I never. He's not saying, I don't boast in stuff like that. He's he's pleading. He's saying, may I never boast in anything except the cross. It's beautiful, his plea there. And so then he says, uh, boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first motivation for gospel-centered ministry, for loving each other in word and deed for the right reasons. The first one is that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that we have God's approval. While the legalist is looking for approval from other people, when we look at the cross, we know that we have God's complete approval because of what Christ has done, not because of anything that we do. We're free from the penalty of sin. And being set free from the power of sin, we have God's approval forever because of what Christ has done. And that is a reason to sing his praises to our neighbors and to the nations. But that's not it. The second motivation, he says, the world has been crucified to me. This is powerful stuff. Really what he's showing is that we don't need to be afraid to suffer. The legalists at that time and even today do what they do because they want to go with the flow. They want to avoid getting persecuted for the cross of Christ. And what Paul's saying is, no, we don't need to be afraid to suffer because the world has been crucified to us. In other words, the world is dead to us, meaning there's, we can't get anything from it. We can't get what we need from it. So we don't go. We go to God to get our needs. Let me give you an example. Uh, all week we've been having a Western theme. And uh, so if you think about a horse... If, there, if you needed a ride down the street and there was a dead horse laying in the yard and you went up to it and said, hey, horse, I need a ride, nothing's going to happen. 
uh, the horse is dead. And there's an old saying, you don't, you know, we don't want to just beat a dead horse, right? The whole point of you don't beat a dead horse is because a dead horse can't do anything for you. And therefore, in the same way that if I need something, I'm not going to go to a dead horse for it because it can't give it to me. When the, we see that the world has been crucified to us, it's dead to us. We don't have to go to the world to get what we need. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid of losing anything that the world has to offer. It can all go. Because Christ is all sufficient. Because we can have everything that we need and want and desire in Him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that freeing? Seeing that as we focus on the cross, we realize the world has nothing we need anyway, so we don't have to be afraid of what we might lose, which means we can serve people sacrificially, love them, whether or not we're persecuted, whether or not we lose anything, even our lives. Man, I love the Bible. Okay. Uh, Third motivation. He says, an eye to the world. That through faith, we would be crucified to the world. Which means that we're dead to the world. Think about this. Now, where do the ideas come from? These ideas that you better get people's approval around you. And uh, you better be afraid of what you might lose. And you better accomplish a lot in this life or God won't love you. Where do you think those ideas come from? The world. Yes. That is not from God. God is saying, I love you unconditionally because of my son. It's the world that tells you you better get approval and you better be afraid and you better accomplish. Those are the world's lies. And what Paul is saying is that in the gospel, as we look to Christ, we're crucified to the world. We're dead to the world. Let's use our dead horse again. If I go up to a dead horse and say, hey, horse, run around. What does the dead horse do? Stink. Think about that, though. So so if I say to a horse, hey, horse, go get approval. You better be afraid of what you might lose, horse. You better accomplish something, horse. How beautiful is that? That the cross that our Savior was killed on kills us to the world so that when the world calls out, get approval, be afraid, accomplish stuff, we can just not even hear it. I mean, that is freedom. That is real, true freedom. And what it does is it sets us up then to truly love people. When we see that God says to us in Christ, you have my approval. You need not be afraid of anything. He has accomplished everything. When we see that, it is what everything is really centered on here. And that's why Paul says in verse 15, talks about a new creation. That's what it means. That's what it means to be crucified to the world and the world to you. We are made into a new creation. Look at 15. I love this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And when we die to the world and the world is dead to us, when we're made new in Christ, when we're crucified with Christ, and it's no longer we who live but he who lives inside of us, what it's saying is we're a new creation. We're remade so that we can be more like our Savior who was completely free, And who was able and willing to completely give his life away for the benefit of others. He came to serve and sacrificially live and give his life so that we could have life eternal. He put our needs in front of him. Which is what Paul says in Philippians 2 where as we believe this more and more, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility 
Count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, this is unreal. What this means is as we believe more and more that we totally have God's approval because of what Christ has done, and, we, and, and as we believe that and as we realize we don't have to be afraid of losing anything, there's nothing this world could take from us that we need. And as we realize more and more and trust in the fact that Christ has accomplished everything for us, you know what happens? Peace and mercy. Look at 16. Paul says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Now that uh, follow this rule, he's not saying this, uh, follow the rules now. That's not the type of what he's saying. He's saying following this way of life, walking in this way is what it says. And so what he's saying is those of us who will walk with Christ and trust in him and what he's done, that we have his approval that we don't have to be afraid and that we, he's accomplished everything. We are going to feel peace, not all day, every day, but we're going to feel that. Those of us walking with Christ know that peace and then mercy. Our lives can be dripping in mercy where everywhere we look, we can say, I want to truly love you and serve you, whatever it takes. I want to see your needs met, even if it involves great sacrifice to me. That's the power of the cross. That's what we believe here. That's what continues to transform us. And you know, it must be worth it. It must be worth it to believe these things about Christ, and about God, about ourselves, and then live a life of constant proclamation and demonstration that Jesus is Lord. It must be worth it because here's what I know. When I see somebody who is uh, dealing with a lot, struggling a lot, and being persecuted even for something they don't have to do, man, I think it must be worth it to them. And Paul, the one who has spent an entire book telling us we are not saved by anything we do, went through a phenomenal amount of suffering to meet people's spiritual and physical needs. Look at 17. He says, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What he's saying is, don't question whether or not I'm in this for me or for you. He's saying, I'm in this for you. And the proof is my back. Paul's back. Oh, man. If uh, if you've seen movies where um, uh, they showing like early American horrific, tragic slavery and then, you know, a, a shirt comes off, and you see the back with all the big marks and and uh, scars and all that stuff uh, that Paul's back looked like that, but maybe even more vicious and gruesome than anything we've ever seen. Jesus' back looked like that too. That's why he says the marks of Jesus. If you've seen the Passion, you've seen, uh, or if you've you know read in the Gospels, you've seen how they whipped Jesus' back. Uh, it was a very gruesome process. What they would do is take a long whip with leather strands and bone and glass. And so when they whipped the back, it would just flay it open and it would rip apart the... I'll stop there. I don't want to... Seriously, it's horrific. Um, and they would do it 39 times. Why 39? Because they found when they did it 40, the person died. Look what Paul says. Um, or let me, let me read this to you. Just to, when he's talking about the marks on his body, here's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. You see what he went through? You see what he was willing to go through, what he was even joyfully going through? 
because of what Christ had done for him and in him, it's absolutely phenomenal because Paul didn't have to suffer any of that. But because he knew he had God's approval because of what Christ has done, and he knew that he didn't have to be afraid of losing anything, and he knew that he didn't have to accomplish a thing to earn God's love, it propelled him out to serve and to love, really love the people that he's ministering to. And we can have that power too. Look, when I referred to Ezekiel before, the rest of that verse is so amazing because what it shows is God did not leave us alone to be beaten up by people who are trusting in the law. And here's what it says. He says, I myself, Ezekiel 34, 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. He will do it. And he did when he came. The Son of God came to live a life we cannot live and to die a death we don't want to die so that you and I could be free. And especially free from the need of approval of others or especially free from the fear that we might lose something in this life and freedom from that fear that we have to accomplish a certain amount of things if God's going to love us. It's so beautiful. He came. He is the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. Why did he do it? He did it for the glory of God and the benefit of you and me. And that gave him joy. Joy, the author of Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And so, in other words, through the cross, we too, we are enabled by Christ and his Holy Spirit to become people who find joy in sacrificially living our lives in a way that meets people's needs. We can be people that find joy in sacrificially loving and serving people in need all over the world. That is amazing. That's what I want to be. I know that's what you want to be. And that's what Christ is calling us to and empowering us for. Isn't that amazing that we would become more and more people who are willing to lay down things that we have so people who don't have things can be fed, people can get housing, people can get off drugs, people can fight against divorce, all of these things. Because as we find our joy in Christ, we're willing to lay these things down, lay things down that we have to meet people's needs. I want to be like that. That's grace. That is the grace of God that he would transform us into be people who, like Jesus, live sacrificially for the sake of others. That's why he ends the book the way he does. Look at 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I uh, just want to ask for a special um, care for those who have been beaten up by legalism and that you would just comfort them right now. Let them just breathe out the anger and frustration and shame and guilt that they have carried. Uh, And let us just see your grace in this. Let us see how you have liberated us in Christ and what he's done on the cross, that we would have a message of peace and mercy, that we would have a message of love, that we would have a message of being transformed and ultimately being forgiven and then delivered to a place where nobody does anything bad to anybody ever again. What an amazing hope. And so we just pray that you will continue to keep eternity in our hearts.
If there's anybody here who's visiting, Lord, and they need to know you more, I pray that you'll meet them here today. We praise your name, and we thank you for setting us free in Christ on the cross. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.